Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 73. Uh, This week, it's just myself, Michael, and Gladys. And we have two guests this week. We have Boyan and Sean, who are here to talk to us about Microsoft Defender for Cloud as code. Uh, Hopefully, that will become evident as we go through this. Um, I only have one uh, news item this week. Um, We've just announced in public preview uh, more capabilities for migrating on-prem databases to Azure SQL Database, most notably um, authentication and authorization steps, as well as TDE or transparent data encryption. Anything that reduces the friction of any kind of migration like this is always welcome. So this is great to see. And of course, it's also in my own backyard, which makes it even more exciting for me. So let's, uh, let's now turn our attention to our guests. Uh, so this week, as I mentioned, we have Boyan and Sean, who are here to talk to us about Defender for Cloud as Code. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to take a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners? Thanks so much, Michael. Boyan here, product manager with Microsoft on the customer experience engineering team for Defender for Cloud. Um, I act as a subject matter expert on Defender for Cloud for a select set of Microsoft's largest customers and helping them not just deploy Defender for Cloud, but also capture quality feedback as to what we can do to further drive the evolution of the product. And I couldn't think of a better person to join me today than one of my close good colleagues, Sean. Great introduction, uh, Boyan. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Sean Wasonga. And I'm also a product manager with the customer experience engineering team. On top of covering uh, solutions such as Defender for Cloud, I do have an array of experience with Microsoft security solutions such as Sentinel, Defender for IoT, and I'm now focused on Defender for Threat Intelligence. Um, I work with customers and partners, and it's always interesting to see how we can have discussions that give them visibility of some of the things that we're seeing in the field. Fantastic. Actually, it's a really good job um, Sarah's not here this week because you mentioned Sentinel and she'll be getting all excited about it. So uh, anyway, we'll stay focused on Defender for Cloud. All right, so let's, let's just kick things off. Look, so uh, you know, a very good friend of, the, of, of our podcast is Yuri Diogenes, who um, you know, is well-known in the Defender, uh, sort of Microsoft Defender you know, arena. Um, but we've, it's been a while since we've had him on the podcast. So would you mind just spending a little bit of a, just a little bit of time Kind of explaining what Defender for Cloud is, because I know things have changed over the last uh, quite a, you know, over the last few months. They certainly have, Mike. So the innovation is not stopping in the Defender for Cloud space. We're not just looking to add more capabilities, but we're looking to even address more use cases that we're seeing with you know the clients that we're engaged with, as well as the partners that Sean touched upon. So just to remind folks on uh, this show, so Defender for Cloud is one of Microsoft security solutions. Uh, it's something that the market is referring to as a cloud native application protection platform or CNAP. And that's also important to recognize because it has a lot of other functionalities, most of which, however, can be divided into three buckets of functionalities, one being around providing continuous assessment for infrastructure service as well as platform as a service, our workloads that can be inside of Azure, that can be outside of Azure, and detecting enemies configurations in them. 
And when the, tech, uh, the vendor for cloud detects misconfiguration, it's able to then provide with security best practice guidance on how to harden those workloads and remediate them. The second kind of pillar or bucket of capabilities is all around you know, threat detection. While it's important to remediate misconfigurations, it's equally important once best practice guidance has been applied and resources hardened to also monitor the environments for potential signs of compromise, which is why we have also this second uh, pillar of capabilities. And I'm also very, very excited about the third pillar of capabilities which we have, which is really around the DevSecOps space and how to centrally better manage uh, DevOps security. So this comes in the form of something referred to as Defender for DevOps, which is a plan we announced in uh, November of last year, and I know that sounds like super far away, but it was effectively only a couple of months ago. So a lot of excitement and a lot of capabilities and UK use cases that we also cover in that space. So all of those capabilities kind of put together uh, make up what's nowadays Defender for Cloud and what Gartner refers to as a CNAP solution. And it's also very, very important to recognize we not just do this for Azure, but we obviously do it outside of Azure with native support, for example, for AWS and GCP, and we can even integrate with another Azure service called Azure Arc and also extend Defender for Cloud capabilities to hybrid. So just a quick whistle tour of what Defender for Cloud is and its latest positioning. Uh, thanks for that question, Gladys. And I think just to sort of state in terms of what area we're trying to resolve and basically address, it's more in line with our roles, right? Customer experience engineering. We're constantly hearing from the field, our engagement with customers and partners, how they can leverage all those functionalities that Boyan mentioned across the different workloads, right? And the different environments, whether it's on multi-cloud environments, on-prem, leveraging Azure Act, and in line with how they do their operations from a technology perspective, how can we help them programmatically deploy and manage our solution? Now, if you think about Defender for Cloud, we're supporting an array of different workloads, whether it's your storage, whether it's your, you know, your networking, whether it's your compute, etc. And what's of interest from us, from our customers and partners is to understand leveraging the internal tools that they use and the internal processes. How can they leverage infrastructure as code to deploy and manage that defined solution? So why are we here? It's just basically to take our customers through that process in terms of using infrastructure as code in deploying and managing MDC. Let me make sure I get this correct. I want to make sure I get this fully understood. So essentially what you, you, you've got is the intersection of Microsoft Defender for Cloud with infrastructure as code so that you can deploy and monitor Microsoft Defender for Cloud but using code as opposed to, say, for example, the portal. Is that a, is that a fair summary? Absolutely. So there are a 
couple of different advantages of using infrastructure as code. So at a very, very high level, it really allows organizations to describe to desired state of their public cloud infrastructure. So they can really programmatically describe as to how does good or how does best look like for them with regards to public cloud infrastructure that they're using. They can then use things such as templates um, and put those under version control, touching upon the likes of, for example, Git, to then make uh, track changes made to those templates. And this is important because every time when they make a change to those templates, which describe their public cloud infrastructure, they can then programmatically deploy those changes to their public cloud environment. This can obviously be Azure, it can be also other uh, public cloud environments as well. And here is where we then see that intersection happening between Defender for Cloud as well as Infrastructure as Code, where on one side they have Infrastructure as Code with templates that really programmatically describe of how do they want their public cloud infrastructure to look like, and they can then use tools like, for example, GitHub Actions to ensure that those are programmatically deployed to their public cloud environment. And here is where it also applies then to Defender for Cloud. They're able to use it to configure different aspects of Defender for Cloud, all to ensure that the desired uh, state of their public cloud infrastructure uh, is what they want it to be. So I just want to make one last comment, and then I'll hand it over to Gladys. There's a comment that I made a long time ago, which is, you know, if you're designing and developing and deploying solutions on Azure and Europe. So as a software developer, you've got to learn basic um, networking or you know that kind of stuff, or basic infrastructure controls. If you're a sort of an IT person, you know, who's used to doing sort of management of solutions, you're going to have to learn basic programming or basic programming tooling. And here we, you know, here we see another example, right? Anything that sort of says infrastructure as code, for example, this stuff we're talking about right now, you know, you've got to know things like tooling and you've got to understand the basics of version control. And I mean, don't get me wrong, that may be already configured for you. But all of a sudden you see yourself sitting inside of a, you know, an edit, a code editor, you know, and using, as you mentioned just now, using Git and Git ac GitHub Actions and those sorts of things. So yeah, this is another great example of where, you know, again, if you're an infrastructure person and you want to re really want to progress your career, you really have to start sort of skilling up on these kinds of tools, because you're going to get left behind if you don't. Um, anyway, I'll hand it back. That's just a just a quick comment, uh, but I'll hand it back to back to Gladys. Actually, before I ask the next question, and I'm going to comment myself. I I, I definitely agree on this uh, because um, a, we always talk about embedding security uh, with uh, any infrastructure that is being built, right? So. Uh, this is what uh, this capability is enabling, right? Uh, 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 from the get-go, uh, get the different capabilities uh, enabled with the infrastructure that is being built. So <clears throat> talking about that, uh, then who is the intended audience for this? Uh, who who do you think uh, would take uh, the most advantage of this type of capability? Great question, Gladys. For us, we really think everyone, right? If you think about whether you are end customer, you are partner supporting end customers, you are managed security service provider, this whole element can actually support you to deliver your overall security operations and helping you scale and deploy Defender for Cloud with ease. It's something that 
it's it's really intended to help all these different personas in different ways whether it's a you know it's a managed service provider that has you know multiple tenants and they need to for example deploy uh, you know one specific detection a, a de- detection threat analysis solution across different tenants it can be done with ease whether it's a customer who has multiple tenants as well or a customer needs to onboard new subscriptions it basically works for everyone and that was our intention in terms of coming up with this defined guide as well it, i, I want to focus a little bit uh when you say uh multiple tenants right uh, this is really important uh, it's not just uh, multiple tenants subscriptions and, and resources overall right um, and now that uh, organizations are keeping up and, and having multiple subscriptions to uh, deliver a service or an application, uh, I think this um, capability uh, can be used tremendously to ensure that all uh, the configuration is seamless across all those subscriptions. Uh, am I misunderstanding this? No, you're capturing it quite well, uh, Gladys. And if if you think about it, even on the customer end, we live in a global village, right? Like an organization that's probably situated in in the United States of America will probably have other areas in the UK, organizations that are still tied to them in the UK, in Africa, in you know South America, etc. And the solutions such as this can actually help you have a singular way in terms of how you deploy and manage your overall security solutions, specifically around Defender for Cloud, but in a, in a specific standard. So leveraging infrastructure as code is something that can help you do that. So how do I get started? That is a question that Sean and myself also asked ourselves when we started working with our clients and with our Microsoft partners as well. And what we realized is we had to Michael's point. So we invested time in being able to then write this code and we already knew how do we want our public cloud infrastructure, especially Defender for Cloud, to then be configured and to look like in those even global environments. Um, the thing we just needed to then come to terms with is what vehicle do we then use to programmatically deploy these changes? So we opted for using GitHub Actions and uh, predominantly just because the code that we've written, so our infrastructure as code templates, they were already in GitHub f- to begin with. So it was logical for us then to use the native uh, GitHub tooling, which is GitHub Actions, for us to be able then to programmatically deploy our infrastructure as code uh, templates to the Azure environment, as well as then configure Defender for Cloud. Now, this is not to say that you all out there listening can't use something uh, other than GitHub Actions as well. So that's a little bit where the beauty in this also r- r- resides. So you can use things even like Azure DevOps, for example. You can even use non-Microsoft tooling because a lot of the guidance that Sean and I put together, you can even apply it to non-Microsoft tooling that you probably might be using as of today. So just to add on that, um, yes, we did uh, advise that you can move towards GitHub Actions. We have uh, quite other, quite a number of tools that you can actually use. But in terms of the work that myself and Boyan did is we realized that sometimes 
you know, you need a guided path in terms of how you can get this going. And we came up with three ways in terms of how we can actually deliver this in form of content. One, we did publish an article that can actually help you get started with the whole process of deploying and managing Defender for Cloud as, as code. That article is publicly accessible and it provides a step-by-step guidance that's really extensive. And not only does it focus on infrastructure as code, but it also provides guiding principles around Azure Policy, REST APIs, and Azure CLI and PowerShell, all in relation towards deploying and managing Defender for Cloud as code. Two, we did create a GitHub repository that actually contains example workflows that you can use as a starting point to, you know, kickstart your automation deployment for your Azure environment with GitHub Actions. We do believe in community and we're really interested to see how many people can actually contribute towards that repository, adding more workflows and bettering our overall process. Last but not least, we did create a YouTube video. Now the video, provides a live scenario in terms of how you can actually leverage what we created with GitHub Actions and help you, and helps you to deploy Defender for Cloud programmatically. Now, if you combine the blog, what we have in the GitHub repository and video, you should be at a good spot in terms of leveraging infrastructure as code to deploy and manage MDC. All right, so you sort of covered off really briefly you know, how to get started, but when the you know, rubber hits the road, what sort of assets are you guys providing to help people really, really make some traction here? That's a really good point. So imagine if you're now a security engineer listening to that to this podcast, like how do you actually get started? So we even see it as end-to-end journey between now using infrastructure as code, committing it to your repository, then using things like GitHub Actions or Azure DevOps to then programmatically deploy it in your Azure environment for which you can then uh, configure the different aspects of Defender for Cloud. So what Sean and I put together is we wanted to, uh, to really capture each step on this journey. So we provided even with the DevOps automation that can be used and step-by-step guidance on how to create an application identity in Azure, uh, how to connect it to GitHub and even templates in GitHub for different GitHub actions that resemble specific aspects of either Defender for Cloud that you can configure or different use cases that you can achieve. What we also did is because we realized working with organizations that there are a lot of different ways you can apply Defender for Cloud because it has a lot of other capabilities. We also wanted for simplicity's sake to provide a guided inventory of what are the configurable components that you can then use these templates to configure Defender for Cloud for. So that was also a big thing for us is really trying to simplify it as much as possible and providing folks with kind of uh, bit-sized modules that they can apply to their Azure environment, but also to their AWS and GCP environments, which is why as part of the guidance, we also, in addition to those modules, added best practice guidance on how they can automate the whole deployment of Defender for a Cloud at scale. So even it covers things like enablement of Defender for Cloud, not just in Azure, but also at scale outside of Azure. For example, onboarding one's AWS and GCP environment to Defender for Cloud and having that multi-cloud security insights all in a single dashboard. We also then want to make sure that we uh, 
cover this process end to end, which is why we all put that all together in form of those three uh, deliverables that Sean mentioned. So when should we use this? Uh, what are some of the use cases uh, that can be covered? Great question, Gladys. So um, I do have um, a couple of thoughts where we think uh, this can actually be applied. I did mention a few. Um, top of mind, we talked about partners that and you know managed security providers that are deploying um, Defender for Cloud as a security solution across multiple customers and multiple tenants. This is something that's ideal. You know, having specific templates based off of specific standards. It, and easily allowing you to start monitoring the environments, enabling these threat plans, starting getting alerts and actually responding to them comprehensively. That would be one of the key use cases that we would think uh, that I would think of uh, from the onset. Secondly, um, now this is on the customer base. You're a new customer, multiple workloads, you're working on new subscriptions, you want to ensure um, your environment that's you know a multitude of different workloads, whether it's your compute, your storage, your DNS, you know, your DevOps environments. And you want to ensure that it's actually covered towards a complete extent. You can actually leverage this across uh, in terms of how you can ensure that every new subscription that's onboarded is protected and covered by Defender for Cloud. Boyan, I don't know if you have another use case that you can think uh, this would be practical for. I believe even Gladys touched upon it, and it's all about how to then seamlessly configure and embed security into infrastructure. And I'd like to add that nowadays infrastructure doesn't need to reside just in one public cloud provider. We are seeing examples where organizations are using multiple, which obviously brings with itself um, a sort of complexity because there are things that differ between individual public cloud providers when you compare them. So it's also all about how to use this guidance to put something in place where you seamlessly then embed security, not just in Azure, but also in AWS, as well as in GCP, by using Defender for Cloud. And I believe that multi-cloud aspect is something also worthwhile just highlighting because we see it also in the organizations that we work with, regardless if they are just um, Microsoft partners providing service to their customers or customers themselves looking to adopt Defender for Cloud. I'm getting excited about this. Uh, <clears throat> as uh, we have talked to um, our listeners before, um, w one of my roles is uh, helping engineering or developers teams in, in, within Microsoft uh, to embed security with our services. And uh, one of uh, the things um, that I, I keep uh, recommending is Defender for Cloud, right? So if we had a, a Defender for Cloud as code uh, type of uh, capability that now you are talking about it, I could basically give that to my engineering teams. Uh, but at one time you talk about version control. So can you talk a little bit about how that would work? Uh, because there's different components of, of Defender for Cloud. What about if I, I just want to uh, deploy right now the free version and then eventually I want to add uh, all the other components, uh, how that version control will work. Happy to. So when we work with customers, when they start on this journey to onboard to Defender for Cloud, some are even surprised by the amount of uh, misconfigurations that Defender for Cloud detects. 
And on one hand, that's also a good thing because it allows them to evolve their thinking about how to better secure uh, their resources and how to deploy those resources more securely going forward in Azure, but also across AWS as well as GCP. And version control allows us then if they need to make any changes to the infrastructure as code templates that they use then to programmatically deploy those resources in their, for example, Azure environment. When they need to then uh, further harden it, uh, they're able to change the template and they're able then to even use version control to track any changes made to it. And also to your point, Gladys, is the innovation in uh, this space is not slowing down. So we're continuing to invest in Defender for Cloud. We're continuing uh, to bring out new capabilities in form of new plans, which is why we can then, you know, look to add those to uh, the deployment uh, guidance that Sean and I sell, uh, put together, where we're able not just to configure different aspects of it that are currently available in the product, but they're obviously reflective of the new plans and capabilities that we're going to be looking to add. All right, this has been great. I'm always a you know big fan of um, infrastructure as code, just just because of my development roots. Um, but it's nice to see this work being done to help people manage um, and monitor uh, Microsoft Defender for Cloud. All right, so one thing we ask our guests uh, on every podcast episode is if you had one final thought to leave our listeners with, uh, what would it be? From my side, I would encourage folks to give this a try. And a lot of organizations still believe that they need to have, let's say, a DevSecOps team of engineers to set these things up. And we can't commit to it to do it today. We're going to do it next quarter or we're going to do it like next fiscal when we get the budget for it. So my kind of call to action to folks listening to this is just give it a try. It's surprising the value that you can get just by connecting, for example, um, your AWS GCP environment to Defender for Cloud and having all of those insights in a single dashboard where you're able then to take in those insights away with you, work with the internal teams, even the workload owners, on remediating those misconfigurations because those in turn will make your environment and your organization more secure. Um, on my side, it's 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 more in regards to two things. It's not leaving you with a thought, but it's more of a statement and a call to action. So from a statement perspective, one thing that I can always um, depend on is the creativity and, uh, you know, great insights that we usually get from our customers and partners. So my call to action would be, we will be sharing the GitHub repository and the guide and the YouTube videos. So we're interested to see what sort of ideas our customers and partners can actually provide in forms of contribution towards those GitHub repositories, right? Like we shared a couple of workflows. We had a couple of ideas in terms of what you can enable automatically. And we it's just basically focused on GitHub Actions. If you can see contributions on Terraform, Bicep, Azure DevOps, I think it would be amazing. So my call to action is to, to the customers and partners, go forward and contribute as much as you can. And I'll be looking forward to see what it can actually do. Yeah, and we'll have links to absolutely everything, including the GitHub repo um, in our show notes. So again, hey, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. 
And to all our listeners out there, thank you so much. We hope you found this episode of use. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.